to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person experiencing so much sensory overload. And I don't know what I can really make of it. I mean, we know this has been one really hard week for um, Minnesotans. Um, And on today's show, later on the show, we're going to be talking about decolonization and the connections between decolonization and all the reckless and senseless things we see in our our world. But right now, we're going to talk about um, starting a food business. And um, joining us is Flo, Flo, and Flo has started a new food business called Afric Sauce. So welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. And we're so glad to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I originated from Nigeria, and I was born into a food business. I, I say that because I, as a child, I grew up uh, meeting my mom having a buka. A buka is like a restaurant here, but it's like an open uh, place. And then I'm there, she's cooking, and I'm serving the customers. So from there, I fell in love with uh, cooking and food. There's so I a- studied economics when I grew up and started my own food business while I was in Nigeria. Right. There's so, there's an article about you um, uh, at the Northside Economic Opportunity Network. So that's on Neon. There's an article, and it, it has a fun title. It's entitled The Power of Food. And so we're going to go into details about how you started a food businesses, how you started a food business, the challenges you faced, and the community that supported you that made this product possible. But I want to start with this idea of food as a powerful force. What is the power of food? Yeah, the power of food is, first of all, if you if you are hungry, remember there is a saying that the, a hungry man is an angry man. <laughs> so we need food in everything. Food is the body. Without food, you are nothing. So it helps you to think right. I mean, it helps you to make the right choices, which is the main thing about life. Because if you make the wrong choices, you, end, you don't end well. So food is everything. Without food, you are nobody. You can't survive. And that's why my saying is uh, uh, cooking is, is about creativity. Uh, get creative with a free source, <laughs> so, which I guess will go more into that. But food is so important. All the nutrients that, that you have in food is what builds up the body tissue. So the way we think, the way we behave, Everything has to do with food. If you if you are not well fed, you will not have any good result in life, and you will be so crabby and angry <laughs> with everyone. No one, no one would like to hang around you. Right, so and food. Yeah, yeah, there's so much to talk about food. There is, is so much everything. to there's so much to talk about food. And um, in your childhood, your mom ran uh, a buka, and so that's the name of a small cafe. Um, yes. So, like, how many people would be eating in these small cafes? How did that, what was that experience like? Oh, yeah, I mean, like, about five people at a time. Sometimes some might stand, you know, like, taking their time <laughs> to sit down. But once you grab your food, then you look for a seat and then eat. If you want more, you you request. And I was, like, the uh, errand person going between. I go back to my mom, they want more. Or oh, this is what this person is requesting. So it was fun. I mean, as a child, I was enjoy. I enjoyed it, and that was why I decided to go with that when I grew up trying to choose a career. Right, and in this article, um, Anian, it talked about these um, small cafes almost having a magical um, um, a communal atmosphere. It was 
people who knew each other and they're getting together regularly to eat. So what was right. the atmosphere like? The atmosphere was I mean, fun. I mean, people are cracking jokes and laughing while you are waiting to get your food. <laughs> so that was so what did you order? Now it's not like a restaurant where you might not know what somebody is going to get except you are on the same table. But this time when you see, oh, what was that? You have fried plantain. Oh, she has fried plantain. Okay, now they are requesting me to uh, to to add fried plantain to their own. So if I'm, okay, what do you want to eat? Yeah, I have fried plantain just like that guy. You know, so because uh-huh. he's so exposed, you see <laughs> what somebody is getting and what they have ordered, the meat, fish, you know, like variety of... Uh, uh, protein that they will add to it. Oh, I want beans. Beans, we call that arrowbell. Rice and beans. Yeah. <laughs> so, so please, uh, yeah, mine would be arrowbell. So I would, I would go back to my mom. Yeah, that guy says I should bring him uh, rice and beans. You know, that kind of thing. So it was fun. It's a fun environment. Was- Everybody is happy and enjoying the food. Yeah. And so now you created a new product. Um, so tell us about Afric Sauce. Afric Sauce is a unique and one-of-a-kind sauce. Is, is more than just a sauce. It's a sauce with multiple uses. I actually came up with this idea based on, I mean, with, I know people on the list, they might not know much about how the whole thing started. I met my uh, mentor uh, at NIO. At that time, I didn't know he was in NIO. Now we worked together in mortgage business before, and they have tasted my food because I, I enjoy cooking. I like to entertain people with food all the time. So I would take food to the office and they would all eat. So that was when, he, and when we met, he told me what I was up to. Now I said, I'm now a life coach. Then he was one, he said, but why are you not in food business? You know how to cook. So I told him the whole story about how restaurant business here is a risky one more than uh, Africa. So then he said, but you don't have to have a restaurant to have the food. I mean, to be in food business. So that was how uh, he gave me the homework to look in, to check the stores out and see what I think would be easy for me to get into as food, but it doesn't have to be a restaurant. So then I thought of this uh, stew. Here, this sauce is called stew in Africa. So we call it a stew, but here, in order not to confuse the American and like my <laughs> customers, with are many Americans now. Um, yes. and how to change the name to sauce. Yes, so My your sauce, your sauce. So I'm gonna. So one of the great things about your sauce is it has absolutely no sugar, and so you pick up any sauces in the stores. Almost all of them have sugars, and sugar almost means they all have GMOs. So your sauce has no GMOs and no sugar, and it's made with very simple ingredients: tomatoes, onions, red peppers, water, paste, a little oil, and some natural flavorings and seasonings. And so this is a way of learning how to cook African food at home. And yes. so you just buy the sauces. It, it sort of makes African cooking quick and easy. Yeah, convenient. Because those that know how to cook African food, it's time-consuming. By the time you clean the pepper, tomatoes, start blending onions and all that, it takes time. So I, people with busy lifestyle, which is so common here, everybody is busy, they don't have that time. So people, they don't really have time to enjoy the delicious African food that they are used to. So they go with, you know, like fast food and some kind of quick food. But with this African sauce, it makes that easy. You will think you are eating fast food too because it, it, within a few minutes, your your African food is ready. An example is a goosey soup or jollof rice, which is a popular food, a West African food. 
you all you need to do is put all your the meat, fish, whatever you want to do in your pot. Once they are all well cooked, you add the sauce, add your vegetable, you are eating your fufu. So and for those of us that know how to eat fufu, that is a goosey. Within five, 15 minutes, you have a goosey soup ready. Right. But if you had gone the, the traditional way, it takes up to an hour or two. Yeah, and uh, and, and it, it, I, I've tried like six times now of, of trying to um, prepare some African foods with the um, spices, and it's never quite as good as I can get in a in a restaurant. But but so um, but um, so to and, and on your website there are recipes, and your website is chef c h e f flow f l o k foods dot com. So people can go yeah, on that website. Yeah, or you can and just look. go africsauce dot com. It will take you to the same website. Okay. Afrikasauce.com, yeah. So I want to talk about um, some of the challenges you faced um, creating this business. And, and again, uh, your personal story is everyone knew you as a great cook. <laughs> and so people were saying, why don't you start a food business? And you were like, I don't know if I want to do the restaurant. And But then you had this idea of creating this sauce. But it took you several years to go from that idea to um, having a product on the shelves. Yeah, when I came up with the idea, I was a life coach, I was already having some clients, and then I had some mentors, so when I was telling them, I think I want to go into food, oh no, that's the most difficult business. Then, I mean, I guess they never knew my background, I said, I don't see anything difficult in food, so that was what I was thinking. But then when I got in, I found out, I mean, I had to take all the classes, certify myself as a food uh, uh, processing manager, then... uh, it came to the food analysis and all the, you know, the facts and everything, the pH level. And all. So that one took us two years. Yeah, that's two years. And, and, by yeah, I'm sorry, Flo. I know. So, um, but I know that a lot of people in the state of Minnesota are trying to make it easier for people to get the food licenses and really understand what's involved. Uh, but that area is so tricky right now. It took you two years to figure out those licensing requirements and how to get the business infrastructure together. Yes, yes. In that one, I mean, the, making sure that the food, the sauce is on the shelf, that was a very long one because the pH level was, we were still struggling with that. At a point, I had to make it uh, frozen, like <laughs> there was nothing at all. So then they said it has to be refrigerated at all times. So that was very difficult. No store was ready to accept. They didn't have room for their refrigeration to put that in there. And then um, trying to get the type of license that we actually need to sell the sauce was another one. Nobody knew what it was. I said, okay, I have a co-packer and I'm not the one making it. Oh, then it's a different license. But everybody was struggling on (laughs) how to get it. But at the end of the day, it took, everything was two years before I was able to produce my first um, sauce. First sauce. And now they're available in several stores? Yeah, now they are available at, um, yeah, several stores. Like most of the... uh, Healthy eating stores, I'm not saying others are not healthy, but there are some stores that really prefer food that has no, uh, non-GMO, no MSG, uh, gluten-free. Yeah. Well, Flo, I, I like- thank you so much. And people can go on chefflorkfoods.com and learn more about Africa sauce. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's a 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and today we're talking about um, decolonizing Earth Day. Um, welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, and welcome uh, Family of Trees co-founder, um, Erica. Hi, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hi, thanks for having us. Appreciate well, you so much. Yeah, and I appreciate you too so much. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um. Well, I go by Erica Schlager de Santos, um, and uh, I care a great deal about how we reconnect with our community, all our relations, and how we uh, we coexist with our natural world in urban and non-urban settings um, to uh, regenerate our health and well-being. And, I mean, our health and well-being is really, um, collectively right now, uh, how, what, where are you seeing our health and well-being as a community right now? Um, we are experiencing great trauma, and we were experiencing great trauma before the events of two young men and their murders, and we are experiencing more as a result of that. Um, George Floyd, Dante Wright, many other people. Um, Jamar Clark, our, our brothers and sisters who have been um, extremely impacted by cumulative health impacts in our environment. Um, and, of course, the, the resources that we need to live in a good way, whether that be clean air, clean water, jobs, um, uh, and how we relate as a result under the the duress of these conditions. Right. And so you're going to be, um, so tell us a little bit about the organization you co-founded, Family of Trees. Um, the Family of Trees was co-founded by a large cohort um, in two, the end of 2019 um, to look at how we re-up the urban canopy, the tree canopy, through the lens of four, four organizing principles. Uh, and those are what we call the four R's, reconciliation, reparation, regeneration, and restoration. And so the- those are theories, those are ideas, but well, how do we enact them in the practical way while um, increasing the tree canopy and our access to clean water, clean food, clean uh, living soil and uh, air that is not polluted. And later in the show, we're going to take a deep dive in those four R's. But um, tell us about the event coming up on April 23rd. April 23rd is the second annual Earth Day event uh, hosted by Mitig Nation and the Family of Trees together. Um, Last year, we did a Mitig Nation event. Um, during COVID, um, it was an attempt, and it was a successful one, to bring uh, celebration around the earth, distribute some trees. And this year, we have a roundtable discussion um, with some invited guests, Dr. Elaine Ingham, who we study soil health with, uh, Divine and I study soil health with, uh, Gaga Yashik was coming as an MC, and she is um, going to be virtually on our panel as well um, from White Earth and Rise Coalition. Um, they're working on water protectors and protecting our water 
um, at the pipeline, um, the pipeline that's being crossing commons and crossing public lands and crossing tribal treaty lands um, and threatens our the health of our water. Uh, we have um, also invited Fidel Nadal from Argentina, Argentina, and he is a musician and an activist in many realms of social and environmental justice. He has a song called Chegou el Momento, The Time is the Time has Come, and, and the time has come is in essence to reconnect with each other and the earth. We invited Dr. Vandanya Shiva from India, and she does has been doing work since 1984 on um, food sovereignty, food access, and organic uh, living soil. Well, that, that is quite a lineup. That is so awesome. And this event is free and open to the public. Um, how do people sign up for it? Um, we will have the, we have flyers out right now. It's on the 23rd at 5. We are in production, so we will have a, a link that will be sent out and on our site as well on how to log into that Zoom. And then there's a live component with some poets and some vignettes about um, tree care, some vignettes about um, what's happening, um, hopefully, at the pipeline. We haven't established what the three of three vignette kind of breakaways are going to be yet, but those will be live from a solar-powered stage on Plymouth Avenue. So it'll be shot live and part of our, our virtual event. And again, to find out all the details on that, people can go to the website, thefamilyoftrees.org. Yeah. So what does this word decolonizing mean to you? Um, I just want to mention that we also have Layla and Michaela on the line um, listening in, and they have some projects north side too. But what does decolonize mean? And when I say that, we were just having a conversation about that. What does it mean? What does it mean? Is it the way that we separate from each other? Is it the way that um, our economic and um, civic structures are um, used to impede access to the land? What does it mean? Does it mean how do we stop that process? How do we say to entities that are funded by our tax dollars that we would like to access the commons without having to ask permission to uh, re-up the green canopy or re-up the food-bearing trees on the boulevards or re-up the number of gardens that we have to feed and sustain ourselves right outside our own doors, whether we own that property or not. How do we look at colonization in terms of what is happening in the police departments? how the police departments have been operationalized against black and brown people um, in a way that is unacceptable um, what are the what are the things of colonization that we see in a neo-colonizing way today? And most importantly, what does the affirmative? What is the? Well, how do we affirm the antithesis of that? How do we stand those systems on their head and head and send them send them marching away? How yeah. do we? Amen. Amen. Put them to the away place because. <laughs> They're harming us. It's not safe. And it's not and, working and our, for anyone. And our health is not Yeah, no, and our health isn't safe with the cumulative health impacts that are happening against our will and without our consent. 
just because a corporation owns a shingle company on the river, does that mean they have the right to pollute the air that we breathe on the north side? What is- because I've purchased, uh, and there are supposed to be regulations, there's supposed to be systemic things in place to monitor, quote-unquote, or to permit those things, but they're not functioning with our consent. And how do we create a world that functions with our consent? And when we do create that world, is it more fun and joyful to live in? Um, we're talking about Decolonizing Earth Day, a, a, a free public event on April 23rd. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from the voices of Makaya and Alayla. Uh, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Today we're talking about decolonizing Earth Day. And what does that mean? Uh, well, it does mean, uh, it means many things, but it also refers to an event that's free and that's happening on April 23rd um, from 5 to 7 on April 23rd. And to get more information about that event, you can go to thefamilyoftrees.org. And right now we're going to be talking um, with Michaela. Uh, Michaela, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. So just tell us about yourself. Um, I've been working with Erica for, I think, since last year, and I, I'm 17, I live, like, on the north side of Minneapolis, and I've just been really into and getting in-depth with community organizing and ways to help my environment and the community at the same time. That's beautiful. So, um, why is that, so what have you, what have you gained from working with Erica? I'm sorry, what is it? So tell me about working with Erica, and what have you what have you learned in this process? Um, I, I work with her daughter in another organization, so that's how I kind of got connected to her in the family of trees. And we started with, like, a, a small just one-month fellowship, planting trees around the neighborhood and watering trees, and we just learned a lot about how important trees are and how much we really need them on the north side and what really goes into taking care of them and planting them and growing them. But we just working with her, like she takes us to all different types of events and she like lets us meet new people and just experience new things. But we just, I feel like being involved with her, we learned so much and great and gained such an impact. Well, and as you're talking, I, I know I've shared this before, but um, I, I know I did I did a couple of things, and when I was in 17 was like 40 years ago or something like that, 30, 40 years ago. I don't even know if I can do that math. But those experiences we have last a lifetime, and not only do they last in our lifetime, but they last in our descendants' lifetime. And, and so having this um, understanding of the importance of trees and, and actually participating in planting trees, does that make you feel... Um, uh, calmer? Does that make you feel more uh, connected to the earth? A hundred percent, because I know we planted a few trees for some people, like, I I forget what his name is, but the actor that played um, Black Panther, we, we had planted a tree for him, and we had prayed over it, and we did that for a few other people, too, but I feel like every time we plant a tree, we just we kind of circle around and we take a minute to just 
say a few special things for the tree and for its growth, and we pray around it and just really just take a minute to breathe in what we're doing. Wow, that is so cool. Erica, are you still on the line, too? I am. I'm just thinking about the project, too. These are young researchers on the north side as well. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, yeah, so how did this get started? Um, Our project? Yeah. Um, we're, it's, it's through a different organization called, uh, YPAR, and basically me and Lance are both, like, the fellows in it and the, the internees, I guess, and it's about green spaces and the environment, but my particular topic that I'm researching is, like, what are, like, what is the lack there of? of green spaces in North Minneapolis compared to other wealthier or differently populated communities and, like, who decides where they are and what amenities they have and, like, who's deciding these, like, who is the person and, like, what's all the history of the green spaces and the green canopy in our communities. That is really fascinating. And on your website, um, it shows the tree canopy for the Twin Cities. And so um, in some parts of the Minneapolis area, only 3 to 10 percent of the area, like downtown Minneapolis and north Minneapolis, have a, a tree canopy, whereas no, other parts of the neighborhood have 40 percent. And that makes a big difference, doesn't it, the tree canopy? Yeah, definitely. So what do, why does tree canopy make a difference? Uh, it makes a difference because, say, if there's less tree canopy and there's more pavement being exposed, like in the summer or just when the sun's out, regardless, the temperature is going to rise. And then if there's more trees, there's more shade, so it's just it'll be cooler in the area. You know, there's going to be more wildlife connected with the trees. There's just going to be better oxygen. It's just it's overall a great thing if there's more trees in our area. And on your website, there's also some research. Um, uh, so uh, this one study um, tracked people and could actually document. The it can document. We we know that having trees improves mental health, but there's some good documentation. And, and a quote on that website is: "It's hard to explain the power of nature and relieving my, both my physical and mental stress." There is, there, there is little more relaxing than sitting with a cup of tea, looking over a hill through a window, and hearing a nearby stream trickle away. There is something about the quiet calm of nature that is contagious, leaving a calm in my mind. And right now, I think we really, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if calm was contagious at this moment? Definitely. And I think, like, that's like a beautiful little quote because, I know, like, we planted trees all over the city, and, like, whenever I'm on the bus or walking or just out, I can always, like, remember and be like, I planted that tree, that tree's here because of me, you know, I've watered it, I've helped it grow, I've watched it grow, and then all the people that we've given trees to, they can sit down and drink a cup of tea and watch their tree grow and just think this is something that I'm contributing. Wonderful. That's so well said. I really appreciated that. And so, Layla, you're also on the phone right now? Yes, I am. Okay. Do you want to tell us a little bit of your background? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, my name is Layla Bacon. I'm 17, and I live in 
football coach in the area. I used to live in North Minneapolis. But um, in the project Miguel was just talking about, us researching green spaces, I'm researching redlining and racism. And my research question is what what redlining look like now what redlining looks like now versus what it used to look like. Wow. And so if some I think most of our people have probably heard of redlining, but what what was redlining and how does it impact today? Um redlining is keeping a group of people more of people of color in certain places to keep um, different groups of people in a different place. It's like line having drawing a line of where people can and cannot can and cannot live. Yeah, and so um Erica, we you're having an event calling Decolonizing Earth Day. And as part of the colonizing architecture and mental architecture is that some people matter and some people don't, and we rank each other, and then we have... T- tell us about how does this colonization work, and how how is it counter to our natural selves? Um, I really appreciate what you were saying, Layla, about how it separates and there's a there's a you you brought it to to its essence and that is the thing that causes so much pain because we live in a quote unquote free society but we're still under the knife under the gun and under the separator that is what the word colonization even means. It means it has its roots in the meaning of a word that means to separate, cut, fence off, own. And, and how does that relate to the earth? That, that's the, the land and the space, but it's cutting and separating people. And so, and, and place. And that we are all attached. the land. There's no separation between the tree and the soil. There's no separation between, you know, in actuality, between all of us. We're all an integral web of of being life forms on this planet. And one without the other, we can see the demise of, of the web of soil life, the web of human life, the web of all sentient being life. Um, being severed and actually causing our own demise. So these constructs of separation are artificial and erroneous and harmful in many ways. And in so many Layla, ways, what, yeah. what do you, go ahead. No, please do it. Please, Erica, you ask. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just wondering if... Um, more thoughts about um, what is the affirmative? What is the plus? What what is it? What does the world look like where we don't have organizations telling us where we can live and acting as though they're not? What does a life look like where we can plant trees and gardens where we need the food and the trees to be and and help remediate, regenerate the destruction that's happened? 
And what is the role of reparation and reconciliation in that? Layla, is there more that you would like to talk about in terms of the green space access or in terms of what your topic is on redlining? Um, no, I think that covered everything. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, you know, this, like like we keep saying, that we, uh, the word decolonization and, and in life is complex and we're all individuals and we all hear words differently. But in so many ways, our society right now is so full of separation and disconnection. And Erica, I think when you said it, and you said it so well, is that that is not our natural selves. And so our affirmative almost, uh, the only word I can think of for decolonizing is to go into the living world, um, where we're connected in the living world. And in, in the simple connection of gardening and providing our own food and planting a tree and seeing a tree, we... We, we kind of return to the garden. Yeah, and we return to each other because you, in order to have a community green space, it takes a village, it takes a group of people to work collectively and cooperatively to change um, the systemic things that are happening in order to make that um, flourish. And, and really, I think that this notion of separation is a false kind of, it's a, it's a, I hate, I don't know how else to say it, but fear, there's an acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. False. We are now seeing yeah. that false evidence appearing real is an acronym for fear. Um, and, and there are, and it's not to say that fear is not real or that we don't experience it and, and we aren't threatened and our lives are not threatened by um, people who feel. We're gonna, the, Erica, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about Decolonizing Earth Day, um, an event on April 23rd from 5 to 7. You can get more information by going to thefamilyoftrees.org. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nurse the seeds of change. I'm Laura Headline. We're talking about Decolonizing Earth Day, which is an event um, April 23rd, 5 to 7. It's a virtual event. Uh, thefamilyoftrees.org is how you find out details about that. With us right now is Erica. And Erica, um, you want to kind of wrap this up with um, um, the affirmative. What are we trying to, what are we, what is our hopes and dreams? Um, I, I feel like our hopes and dreams rest in the visions that Layla and Michaela see as they go through the community. I think that our, our, how do we creatively visualize the society that allows us to, not, even there, that's a red flag, allows us to, what's that? Mm-hmm. How do we visualize a coexistence where we are in, a good way with nature, with all nature entities, with our rivers. We have easy access to walk on down to the river. We have permeable surfaces where water can filter through the biological entities under the soil. And that above the soil, we have systemic overhaul that takes the resources and the access to resources, and I'm not just speaking about human economy, but the nature economy of healthy food and healthy living, and and compassionately um, makes it available to all and, and brings 
uh, access to this shift that we're going through to all folks, to BIPOC communities, to Northside, in a way that is transformative. And I would love to hear from Layla and Michaela, what is, how do you vision um, our green tomorrow, our green today, and what things are happening that are already doing that? For like, uh, basically like a decolonized way and like a, a green way for everybody. Because, you know, colonization is like, taking over and having it in like one image that's beneficial to one type of person or something like that. And I like a way for the environment and every place around us to just be inclusive and for an image that works for everybody. I feel like that would be a way to, or like an example of decolonization, especially in like the green spaces, like we can all enjoy an area, you know, yeah. How about you, Layla? Um, I would like by what me and are doing now. I want everybody to enjoy the same green spaces and everybody to have the equal right to have a good green space to visit and look at. Yeah, and and one of the thing that Erica, you and I talked off air is. This idea of seeing a tree and not thinking, I'm a human, I'm so much better than that tree, <laughs> you know, but seeing us as, you know, so we're not separate from nature, that that actually that, that we're a part of nature. And this idea of human superiority over nature is is sort of that core root of colonization. Do you agree with that? I agree with what Layla said and that notion of equal right to access our, our divine relationship with green space, food, healthy food, and healthy living. I think that when Layla said equal rights and when Michaela said the words that she said, it reminds me that we already have it in the, uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that um, we, there is a provision that we give our informed consent for anything that's affecting our health. That's still a negative model in that it's a, it's a it's a affirmative ask, but you know how do we move beyond the fact that 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 right exists, but it's not implemented? We have the right to breathe clean air. We have to the right to have an unimpeded trachea so that we can breathe in that air, whether it you know be on a concrete or be on a permeable surface. It really is about equal rights and justice. And as Cornell West said, love is justice made public, or justice is love made public, I should say. Mm-hmm. And so that, that I think that Layla and Michaela are seeing that, and there are movements happening. There is a massive movement of for us, by us, about us, 40, up to 40 guardians in um, North Minneapolis, where food is being grown, people are br- coming together, they are compassionately listening to each other, and the healing is coming from within, not from without. So those properties where all those gardens are happening, why are they at the behest of um, the Community Development Organization, or CPED, 
an arm of the city that, you know, receives tax dollars and collects tax dollars, why are they in control of the land where we're growing and can be taken up from out from under our feet at any time when we have the lowest green space access in the city of Minneapolis? Why do we need to ask permission to plant a tree? And why do we have to ask permission to restore our earth? We do, we are protected by law. In 1964, I feel like, again, Layla said, equal right to access. We don't, we shouldn't need to ask to breathe. We shouldn't need to ask to have resources and and live in a good way, um, especially when those resources are extracted at unequitable percentages from folks that make the least. Um, the, there's something that needs to shift in our human economy so that we can be part of the natural economy, so that we can restore our relationships as apprentices and and turn to wisdom traditions that have been. They are here. The wisdom traditions indigenous in the African diaspora have have strongly persisted in spite of colonization. So how do we return to that in a in a good way and and really save ourselves? Yeah, I love that. We're down to our last minute, so I just want to kind of go around and let anyone say anything else they'd like to say. Layla? Is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, no, I think uh, I said everything I had to say. Okay, well, thank you so much for participating, Layla Bacon. And how about you, Michaela? Um, I don't have much more to add. I just wanted to say thank you for having me, and this has been a really great talk. I, I really appreciate both of you being here. How about you, Erica? Is there anything else you'd like to say before we leave? Um, coming from a place of gratitude and compassion, um, I'm grateful uh, for the perseverance and the, the wisdom that Michaela and Layla bring to us, and I'm grateful for our elders and all seven generations that have kept the fire so that we can return. And I think that it, it, the notion of reparation, it can be expansive, but in order to reconcile, we need to, re- we need to look at reparation. Okay, and for more information, to check out the details of that event, you can go to thefamilyoftrees.org. Thank you for listening, and um, enjoy Earth Day.